Hello everyone. Hello advanced English learners. Welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined today by the one and only Greg. Hello. So we're going to have an interesting discussion today as we usually do uh, with these lovely conversations. And I'd like to remind you that the point of these conversations is to give you an opportunity to, well, a few things to work on your listening comprehension so that you can keep up with the conversation and really follow along, see what's going on. Two, to understand how a conversation naturally flows in American English. And three, to get some pronunciation insights and try to match your pronunciation to our pronunciation. And that also holds true for intonation and inflection patterns and the rhythm of the language. So we're accomplishing quite a few things here. So hopefully you take that into consideration and also use that to your advantage as you are following along and listening and watching this conversation. All right, so let's jump right in. Okay, Greg, so... I think it would make a lot of sense to talk about the economy, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I think it's quite topical and would be worth discussing just to get a sense of the vocab and to um, try and put some of this in perspective. We'll be right back after this short break. Where should we begin? Where do you think is a good launching point? I mean, you know, talking about the economy is tough because everyone has a different level of mastery, right, and understanding of the various parts of the economy. Yes. Um, But I think there's one part of the economy that uh, everyone is very familiar with, which is inflation. Inflation, yes. So let's maybe first define what inflation is just to make sure everyone listening is on the same page as we are. Yeah, so inflation uh, is the increase in price of various items, right? So you can have inflation in the housing market, which would mean that the cost of housing is going up, right? When you go and buy a home, uh, that goes up, and maybe even the rents eventually go up as well. So that's inflation of housing. You can have inflation of food, right? So the cost of food, when you go to the grocery store and you buy your eggs, your milk, um, right. Same product, same everything, but yeah. it's more expensive. Exactly. So the cost of that goes up. You can also have uh, inflation in commodities, right, which are goods that, that um, you know, are bought and sold on a market. So something like oil. Yeah. Right. Or electricity. Right. Or wheat. Or precious metals, wheat. Yeah. Right. All of these things, those are all commodities um, and those can um, be uh, inflated as well. Yeah. And so essentially what inflation, when people talk about inflation, they're typically referring to what's called a basket of goods, right? So a basket of these different things that we just discussed, and you combine them together and you look at, you know, the overall sort of aggregate price increase or decrease, right? So you can have inflation, that's when the things go up, and then the opposite is deflation. Exactly. When when things go down, when the prices go down. So you look at this basket, and if that overall basket so the average price of items in that basket goes up. That means that there is inflation, right? So the price of things are going up. Right. 
And so uh, the reason I say everyone is familiar with inflation, even if they don't really know what that term means, is because at the end of the day, we all have to pay for things. Right. And if the cost of things is going up, we all know about it. <laughs> exactly. And for people who, you know, the housing market was super hot, meaning, what does that mean? Well, when the housing market's hot, that means that the homes are really expensive and they'll also go like crazy. So, um, you know, we have a realtor friend and she was telling us how even these homes that are not even that great have been just going like crazy because people were voracious. They were so hungry to buy. And so that created a lot of demand. Yeah. Ever since the uh, great financial crisis back in 2008-9, right, Um, the cost of housing has dropped tremendously, right? So there's a big crash in the market, right? A crash just means the price drops really fast, might drop precipitously, right? right? And so the the price plummets, uh, uh, the price of the housing market plummeted, and for years it was stayed in that depressed state, right? right? So it stayed at this very low level, and gradually over the last decade, uh, the price has been slowly climbing, but at like a steady pace. Yeah, right? nothing so, crazy, nothing, nothing crazy. like, oh, wow, that was way more expensive yeah. than it was last so year. So they were, they were climbing at essentially the pace of inflation, Yeah. right? Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, in the last year and a half, two years, uh, things really went nuts, uh, right? Yeah. The prices really went crazy. Um, and so they went from a steady increase to a rapid increase. Yeah, crazy. Um, And part of that was... created an overheated environment. Exactly. So you can talk about the market being hot, overheated, right? (laughs) Temperature is used a lot. If it's a cold market, um, that suggests that things are not turning over quickly, right? There's not much product turnover. And if you go into like websites where they're selling, you know, so real estate websites, you'll see hot home, hot home, hot home, (laughs) meaning that home is predicted to sell within a few days. And that's not an exaggeration. Like our realtor friend was saying how she'll show a house to like 20 people on one day and it could easily be just, just disappear from the, the market because people just take it right away within a matter of days. We'll be right back after this short break. That's a good point. So you have both price and velocity, right? So the price is how much does something cost? The velocity is how quickly how quickly does it get taken from a shelf, (laughs) right? So when you go to a supermarket, um, the velocity of some items is higher than others. Typically, the velocity of things you need, like eggs and milk, are very high because people are buying those every day. And so the demand will be high, and so will the supply, so that the supply can meet the demand um, demands. Yes. So supply and demand is also a super important part yeah. of the economy, right? That that's what essentially determines the price, right? So if you uh, let's talk about eggs for a second, right? If suddenly everyone decided they really wanted to cook with eggs, the price of eggs would probably go up, right? Because if people want to cook with eggs. That means there's high demand for eggs. And if there's high demand, the price goes up because the egg producers can only produce so many eggs. So the egg producers have essentially a fixed amount that they can produce. Yeah, because they only have so many chickens. So with a fixed uh, um, supply, 
and the demand is going up, well, that means people are willing to pay more, more. for the supply that's there. Right. And so that's why you have that um, relationship, right? If, if supply is high, price is low because there's not a lot of buyers and there's a lot of stuff that can be bought. Right. And when supply is low, price is high because you know everyone's clamoring for a limited set of goods. Right. And, and it goes also with things that are you know hot commodities that are rare. So if you think of something that is extremely rare and valuable... There are not that many of them in the world. Like, for example, the alethiometer from the Golden Compass. This is a made-up thing, <laughs> but there's only four, four in that world. So I would imagine those are extremely expensive because there might be a lot of demand, but there's no supply. Yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting point, right? How much, how much of something there is. Yeah. And so you're right that when supply is limited in that case, there's only four of them. Uh, the price is very high. Right. But what's interesting, you brought up another concept, which is called liquidity. Oh, yeah. Right? So in that case, you just brought up a very illiquid market, right? Liquidity typically refers to, it's like the, it refers to, um, it's sort of aqua, aqua, right? Yeah, it's water. Liquid liquid, water, right? So how fluid is it, right? And in economics, liquidity refers to how fluid the market is, how much flow there is. And um, in order for you to be liquid, you need to be have like hold cash, right? Well, here we're talking about the sort of liquidity of supply. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So um, you're right, though. That's also how it's used. But we're going to talk about that separately. But here we're talking about liquidity of supply. Um, And so you have the alethiometer. You only have four alethiometers. So basically, let's just define what that is. Um, It's from these books, The Golden Compass, His Dark Materials. And the TV show is called His Dark Materials. Yes, yeah. His Dark Materials is the show, but the series, isn't it the series called His Dark Materials? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think the series is called His Dark Materials, and then the first one is The Golden Compass, so you might have heard that. Um, the show is also really good. It's awesome. And so anyway, so the alethiometer, just think of it as a golden compass, and it tells the truth. So yeah. think of any time you have a burning question about anything in the world, you could just ask the alethiometer. Again, this is a made-up It knows thing, everything. And it will tell you the answer. <laughs> we probably should everything. have chosen it like, with... Less complicated. Okay, let's name. say a ruby. Fine, a ruby. A ruby. Uh, okay, so a very um, a, a so, precious but let's just, jewel. But no, no, no. Let me get stick with the alethiometer. Okay, let's say alethiometer. Okay, so we have four alethiometers yes, in the world, right? Only four. That means it's a very illiquid market because yeah. if you know you want to buy an alethiometer, you only have four that you can buy, and maybe those are concentrated in two people. So there's only two people in the world who can buy and right and sell the uh, yeah. rather who can sell the alethiometer. Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, <laughs> and, and Elon Musk. Elon Musk. <laughs> exactly. So there's so few sellers that means the buyer has almost no power, um, and likewise the the, the sellers um, might have trouble selling it because yeah. the price is so high. Well, there's a market cap too. Well, so yeah, you can I've, only sell it for so much. There's a cap for you know how much it's worth. Yeah, c- certainly. Um, and the uh, the seller, you know, might not be able to find a buyer. It's just not a liquid. There's not a lot of demand in the first place for alethiometers. Yeah. Those who want them will pay a lot for them. Right. But there's just not much demand. There's not much supply. So that market's pretty static. Right. And so that's it's called illiquid. Illiquid. Yeah. Right. With an I L. Because not illiquid. a lot of flow. It's more static. Exactly. Now let's compare that to a very liquid market like oil. Yes. So oil is a highly liquid market, and that's not a pun just because oil is a fluid. Yeah. It's, it, the market itself is liquid, 
because there are a lot of different oil producers. Yep. Right. Um, the demand is high because people. There's high demand, and there's also high supply. Yeah. So when there's high supply and high demand, you have a very liquid market, um, and because of that. Uh, those prices tend to be much more reflective of true demand. Yeah. Right. Whereas in an illiquid market, it's very hard to price things. Think about something even more illiquid than an alethiometer, right? A Picasso painting. Oh yeah. Um, of which there might be only one. Sometimes they do a few, like maybe Picasso did a few. Right. Of the same. Painting, so you could do but... yeah, but if you chose one specific, like the Starry Night. Yeah. Right. Uh, Van Gogh. Van Gogh. So the Starry Night with Van Gogh. Uh, there's only one of those in the world. And so, uh, you know, it's very hard to determine what the true price of that is yeah. because there's only one. It's highly illiquid. Yeah, and it's so subjective, too, because it's so subjective. you can't ask, hey, Van Gogh, what would you yeah. charge for this? Or, so do you know possible. how they determine the price? How do they? They use an auction. Oh, that's right, an art auction. Right. So when you don't right. know what the price of something is, you let the crowd decide. Yeah. Right? You just see how far they'll go to pay for that right. or procure it. And then cough up the money. <laughs> exactly. So with an auction, you yeah. basically have a group of people. You say, hey, guys, I want to sell this one thing. It's yeah. unique. What would you pay for it? What would you pay for it? Yeah. And you let people bid on the price of the painting. So I wanted to circle back to oil for a minute. Sure. One way to make, the, like, to make oil less of a hot commodity is to, you know what I'm going to say? I don't know, burn it? No. <laughs> is to switch to electric vehicles, to EVs. Yeah, to switch to renewable power renewable in general. Renewable energy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would help. I yeah. mean, and that's what most of the world wants to do, right? Most of the world does want to transition I mean, to renewable power. It seems like the logical next step, given where we are in the world, given what's going on with our climate, given yeah. the economy, the state of the economy, uh, an impending recession, right? It makes so much sense. It's like, yeah. hello, And EV. it'd be great. Well, yeah, and cars are part of it, right? Cars are part of it. Um, but really, the, the polluters are more like factories, sure. cargo ships, transportation, yeah. right? Burning coal. Power plants. Yeah, power definitely, plants. Definitely, right? Yeah. All of that um, uses even more, uh, uh, basically produces even more carbon, ca- carbon exhaust. Carbon, carbon footprint. Right, more of a carbon footprint yeah. than, than uh, our cars yeah. do. But the cars are an important step, too. But yeah, the problem with transitioning to the green energy um, paradigm is that we still don't have enough supply of renewable power, right? So going back to the supply demand, yeah. there's sort of constant and, and gradually or steadily increasing demand for power, whereas renewable power sources are mm-hmm. still very limited in supply, right? right? We only have so many uh, solar panels, and most renewable power also is restricted more or less to the area where it's produced. So solar panels, right? A solar panel, you say, is most effective in a desert where there's lots of sun. Right, and space. And space. So great, you can power things in the desert, but guess what? Most cities aren't in deserts. So it's like, how do you get the power from that solar solar panel all the way to a city, you know, far away from the desert? That's hard. Oil, on the other hand, is in a barrel, right? You can transport it all over the world. We'll be right back after this short break. So while we really want to transition to renewable power, it's still really hard for us to do because um, there are a lot of unsolved problems, both in terms of the efficiency of producing it and then the ability to transport it. 
And so for the moment, we're kind of stuck using, you know, polluting uh, fossil fuels. Ah, it's so frustrating, though, Yeah. right? And, and because of that demand, even though we don't want to use it, we still have to, right? We still have to power our homes. We still have to get drive to work and so forth. And so, like it or not, the, the demand for oil is still very high. Yeah. And that's why we see the price of oil so high. Yeah, I mean, it's just skyrocketed. It's, yeah. But during the pandemic, it was, or the beginning of the pandemic, it was extremely low because there was, people were home, they weren't driving to work, they were not using their cars, and there was all this oil, but no one was using it because there exactly. was not that need at the time. Demand so disappeared. It was super low, and now it's super high. And it wasn't just oil, right? So if we think about all... Most most countries suffered a lot of shortages yeah. um, on all kinds of different products. Big one in the U.S. was toilet, toilet paper. paper. There was right? like a meme, uh, 2020, the year the toilet paper was like hoarded or missing yeah, or non-existent. Yeah, people crazy for toilet paper. Yeah. And the reason was there was a fear of toilet paper shortages. Right. Now, why are there shortages? Well, um, first off, most producers decided it's the pandemic you know, so demand for everything's going down. We're just going to stop producing stuff, yeah. right? So for some product categories, things just got produced less. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, in a category like toilet paper, the, the, the producers just didn't anticipate the increase in demand. Like you said, um, uh, everyone is staying at home. So in this case, demand for toilet paper at grocery stores increased, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, if you're at the office, you're using sort of industrial grade toilet paper, which isn't sold in the grocery store. Right. And they're and just like huge, huge rolls, rolls that right. you're not going to use at home. Exactly. Yeah. So there were tons of that, but no one wants that at home. So all the, the home sort of oriented toilet paper went off the shelves very quickly because suddenly everyone's at home. Yeah. So not only did you have changes in total demand, right? Some, some things were uh, less desirous. Some things were more desirous. You also had a shift in the dynamic of demand, where the the category of the type of food also shifted. Right, same with restaurants. Yeah. So the kinds of foods we like to eat at home grew in demand because mm-hmm. we're all cooking at home. And Which is stuff, what? What are stuff that? What stuff that people like? Well, to eat like at home? you know, like dozens of eggs. Food. Like well, just like eggs. Yeah, and also snacks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, those yeah. kinds of things. And the stuff that you would get at a restaurant, big bulk items. Um, yeah. The demand for that went down because no one's going to restaurants. So it's very, very complicated. And you, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, this inflation problem, prices are going up now. And that's mostly because we have um, a high level of demand for things and the supply is reduced, yeah. right? And so um, because of that, uh, you have uh, this inflation. It's very hard to manage, very hard to manage. Yeah. So um, we were talking before, just another conversation we had, the two of us, about now the the suppliers creating so much of a product hoarding it effectively and just making like let's say a lot of toilet paper they're making a lot of toilet paper and now they have more toilet paper than they need yes so what's that so that's another happening? driver of inflation yeah, which is the companies themselves, we just talked about people hoarding things. Yeah. Companies are doing that too. They're stockpiling, it's called. Stockpiling, yeah. So, um, and a better In example. anticipation of a potential shortage where they could fill the gap. Exactly. Right. So, uh, a very prominent one right now is semiconductors. Oh, that's right. That's what we were talking about. 
So semiconductors yes. are the, well, you can explain it. It's like a special chip. Yeah, semiconductors are part of uh, an electrical uh, component in, in computer chips, right? Yeah. Processors. And we have semiconductors in all Everything. kinds of electronic. Basically, anything that's electronic these days has yeah. a semiconductor of some sort. Your Nintendo Switch, your, Nintendo your Switch, TV, your TV, your car, your car. phone, right? All these things have semiconductors. And there are very few producers of semiconductors because it's a very specialized technology. Are they difficult to make? They're very hard to yeah. make. Yeah, it requires a lot of very specialized technology. And so um, the, the number of semiconductor producers is very limited. Yeah. Uh, and the demand for them very is high. astronomical, right? Which means it's so high, it's basically in the skies and space. It's astronomical. <laughs> astronomical. And so um, because of that, uh, the, uh, you know, the price of semiconductors has gone up. But more importantly, more so even than the price, you just can't get them, right? right. Uh, they're just they're not available. Yeah. And so to prevent um, certain businesses from going out of business, these businesses stockpile them ahead of time. So they go out and buy way more than they need yeah. because they don't want to have a shortage down the line. Right. So if they can buy it now, they can make sure they can keep delivering the products without interruption. So they're creating a huge supply. And if the demand goes down, then guess what happens to those products? They become way cheaper. Right. So in the short term, what happens is the cost of things goes up yes. because all these companies are stockpiling in, in, in anticipation of part shortages. So the cost goes up because they're buying way more than they need. But then what happens is, um, you know, demand, uh, the supply catches up with demand and eventually it typically exceeds demand. Yeah. So once supply exceeds demand, the price comes down. Exactly. And so a lot of economists are saying that the world is going into a recession now. Right which means uh, that demand for everything from cars to electronics to, f- well, not food. We can get to that later. Uh, but a lot of things, the demand will go down. Right. And so all these companies have, you know, all this extra inventory now because they're used to high demand. And then, you know, uh, the demand goes down, so they have to get rid of all that inventory. Yeah. So guess what that means? Discounts. <laughs> Major discounts. Yeah. So right now it's brutal, right? We're dealing with really high inflation. Yeah. That's very painful. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, a couple months from now, we'll actually have the opportunity to get discounts because uh, of all the extra supply. And, you know, things like wheat and uh, things like that are really expensive right now, or you can't even find wheat. So co- trying to come up with alternatives, maybe you can make your own bread at home that doesn't require wheat. I have a great lentil bread recipe for anyone who wants it. Yeah. But being, being, my point here is to be as resourceful as you possibly can during these very inflated times. Um, and if you can't live without wheat, then I don't know what to tell you, but. There are alternatives. And yeah. so you brought up another really important topic. Economists have a term for that, which is called the elasticity of demand, mm, right? I don't, I've never heard that one before. So the elasticity basically means. If something's um, elastic, it's flexible. Right, how flexible, how much you can stretch it, right? So um, with something that's elastic, yeah, it means that uh, people have a lot of substitutes, right? Mm. So if a product is elastic, it means there's many alternatives. I would argue something like, let's see, uh, Coca-Cola. Mm. The demand for Coca-Cola is elastic. Why? Right. Because you have many alternatives. You have Pepsi, you have Sprite, you have root beer, 
right? You have many different other types of sodas. Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. So it's a very elastic supply. If, if Coca-Cola decided to jack up the price of Coca-Cola, no one would buy Coca-Cola because they would run off and buy something that's cheaper, yeah, right? Or they, they have might make their own thing at home. Just right. take some syrup. I don't know what kind of syrup, but some exactly. kind of syrup. Yeah. Yeah. So elasticity. Elasticity. Whereas something like eggs... Very inelastic yeah. because there's no real good substitute for eggs. I mean, the vegan friends I have uh, swear by mixing crushed, um, what do you call it, ground flaxseed mm-hmm. with water, and it creates sort of like that similar consistency to egg. True. So it doesn't have the same, it's not isocaloric and it's not um, nutriently, like nutrition wise, the same profile. But if you were to bake, for example, so vegans don't typically eat eggs. And if they're going to bake a cake, you usually need a binding substance like eggs. So what works really well is the ground flaxseed meal plus water. Yeah, or chia seeds is another great... Oh, yeah, chia seeds, absolutely. You you put a little water in chia seeds. So you're right. Actually, food these days days. is actually surprisingly elastic. And the only reason I know so much about this is because (laughs) I do a lot of baking, like healthy baking. So I never use sugar. I never use uh, high glycemic things. Um, So it's very low glycemic and no sugar. And I can come up with some pretty tasty treats. It's true. It's true. And so, I mean, you make a great point, which is, these days, food is very elastic, yeah. right? There's so many different ways. Milk, you can get substitutes for. It's just right? a matter of changing your headspace about it, right? Yeah, if getting creative, just getting Google creative. searching for that. But I will choose something now that is definitely inelastic, which is going back to oil, right? Oil is inelastic. Petroleum. Petroleum, Yeah. right? Crude oil is, is actually... So when you say oil, I'm thinking olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, th- those cooking oils, there is quite a few substitutes. but Yeah, um, they're not... But yeah, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about crude oil. Crude, crude oil, oil. Is, is sort of the base product that is used. You know, all, all industry still needs crude oil. Yeah. And so no matter how high the price goes, people still need to buy it. Yeah, that's true. Um, and eventually you just get to a point where it's so expensive that businesses can't afford to buy it and then they close down. And that's, that's why people are anticipating a recession is right. there's no expectation that the price of oil is coming down anytime soon. So eventually, businesses are just going to have to capitulate and shut down, um, which means uh, demand will go down. And ultimately, that brings, as they say, the cure for high prices is high prices, right? Essentially, uh, at a certain point, people just stop buying things because they can't afford them. Yeah. Um, And that ultimately brings demand down, which brings prices down. So this, this situation can feel very difficult in the moment, um, but just know that it is temporary uh, and in the meantime, uh, you know, you brought up some terrific ways to sort of find alternatives in your day-to-day life um, to avoid having to pay inflated prices for things that are in high demand. Yeah, instead of paying an arm and a leg for something, that's a great expression in English, to pay yeah. an arm and a leg for something is like you pay a lot. So it's astronomical um, in terms of prices. Yeah, just try to be creative. And so I guess we have to wait it out. And be patient. Yeah, you know, the number one thing is to, um, you know, be patient. Patient, one should always be patient no matter what. It's a virtue, right? Exactly. Patience is a virtue. I would argue that the number one thing is to be adaptable. Adaptable, I was going to say, and then try to be resourceful. Adaptable and resourceful. Those are very important, right? Learning how to adjust um, to sort of adjust to the changing circumstances and resourceful, you know, being creative about 
finding alternative solutions. Right, like different income streams or whatever you Different can. income streams, alternatives for the stuff that you use daily, um, switching to cheaper substitutes yeah. uh, where possible. Yeah. You know? Maybe being more frugal, maybe trimming the excess where there's excess. Because yeah. a lot of us don't even realize, but we, um, you know, there's, like we are so fortunate in so many ways where there's a lot of actually extra that we don't necessarily need and can live without if we needed to. So, you know, thinking about that can also maybe put stuff into perspective in that regard. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole nother topic on auditing, you know, unnecessary expenses, but that is a huge part. This is an opportunity to do that, to take a look at, you know, uh, what are your expenses? Where are the highest numbers? And figuring out ways maybe that you can cut it back a little bit. Yeah. So I think we kind of hit a lot of different points here. And again, this is not scripted, just sort of we let the beauty of conversation uh, manifest itself and take us where it may. Yeah. Ebbs of flow. Yeah. I mean, economics is, is cool because it, it, it is integrated into so many aspects of our life and we don't really see it. It's often invisible, um, but it's there. And, yeah. you know, once you start talking about it, you realize how relevant it is to everything we do. It's true. And if you, you know, I feel like most Americans like to talk about Like, for example, there are a lot of different taboo topics in different cultures around the world. The um, economy and economics is not really one of them in the U.S. Talking about money specifically, like, oh, how much do you make? What's your salary? That's a no-no. That would be a taboo topic. But the economy at large, talking about the housing market, talking about the impending recession, talking about, you know, uh, inflation, those are topics that you can easily broach and talk about with other Americans. So if anything, if you were to take away anything from this conversation, hopefully there's some nice points there, some talking points, some dinner table conversation that you can use in your next conversation with some native English speakers. Absolutely. Awesome. So we're going to see you in the next advanced English lesson and conversation. Share this podcast and the channel with anyone who wants to improve their social skills, their communication skills, and their English skills. And so we are going to see you right here for another conversation. Bye for now.